0: Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the the pod. pod. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Essendon People podcast, our round four review of the game against the Giants and our round five preview for the game coming up against the D's. Uh, Brendan, how did you find the game? <laughs> I think it was um, it was one that's suitable for review. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> So we'll jump into it. It's uh, Essendon, 11-22-88, defeated GWS by 13 points. They were 11-9-75. So we'll go straight into the quarter-by-quarter, quarter, and I guess this is the the start of much of the discussion. It was Essendon, two goals, eight twenty to GWS, four goals, straight, 24. So we went in at quarter time, trailing by four points, despite having 10 shots on goal. And six more than the opposition.
0: And if anyone's listened to this podcast at all, you know that we'll bang on about conversion more than anything. And to convert at 20% for a quarter is just unacceptable for <laughs> AFL-level players. And, Mark, it only gets worse in the second, but we kick 1-5 <laughs> from six scoring shots to convert at 16%. That's right, one 6 All right, to GWS's two goals, 517. All right, so at half time, we had managed to have 16 scoring shots to 11, but only only scored, registered 31 points. Three goals, 13 for a half of football and trail at half time. What what did you make of the first
1: half? It it was disappointing. It was frustrating. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it on the glass half full approach, we are getting plenty of the ball, having plenty of shots on goal, but we weren't capitalising and taking our opportunities. And um, because of that, I felt that we were lucky at halftime to only be down by 10 points. I think in that second quarter, GWS got, a, got it together a bit more. And we could have easily been five or six goals down at half time. So I actually thought we got out of it pretty lucky, uh, which led us into the third quarter. We then kicked five goals, six, Uh, up the conversion to 45%, still not great, but a lot better than what we were experiencing. And um, GWS had three goals too. So we won that quarter by 16 points and went in to the uh, the final break with a lead of of a goal. Uh, I guess, yeah, 11 shots on goal again in the third quarter was a promising sign that we were having so much of the footy and having so many shots at goal. Um, Conversion obviously still not great, but better than what it was in the previous two quarters. Which gave us that goal lead going into the final break.
0: Yeah, and then in that last quarter there, three goals, three to two goals, two. Um, Won the game by, you know, 13 points. Uh, Yeah, 17 scoring shots to to nine in that second half. I guess the positive we can take out of the game, Mark, is that we had 33 scores, shots at goal off 61 inside 50s. So, we're getting, we're getting scores that are just uh, all behind. So if we could, you know, if we just did a simple switch it around, if we kicked 22 goals 11, I think we'd all be very wrapped. <laughs> but, yeah, to kick 11 goals 2, and 11 goals 22, and GM kick kicked 11 goals 9, it was one of those things all day I was sitting there going, oh, this is going to bite us in the arse. It's going to come back to get us. You know, poor kicking, poor football, and I think it's just... We were just lucky on the day that it didn't get us because nine
1: times out of 10, it would. And if we look through the stats, everything, to be honest, was pretty even. We had more contested possession, uh, which is probably a good sign. Um, I guess disposal efficiency showed that it was nearly 74% for us, which, to be honest, I feel like it's a bit of a lie. And we often talk about on this podcast that sometimes the stats do lie a little bit, uh, you know, not not in a factual sense, but it's more what you see with your eye than what you see on paper. And what I would like, we don't have the
0: stats in front of us, but we might do it for next week there, is the breakdown between kicking, kicking efficiency and handball efficiency. So I would think that we probably handball a lot more and those numbers are generally up, but because our kicking at times was, was quite poor. And, it's funny, how, the, how do the stats actually work? If you kick it for, if you kick it behind, is that registered as an effective stat because you've scored or an ineffective stat because you could have had a goal? And where does that come into play? So that's like, as you were talking about, where
1: stats can lie a little bit. Another interesting one here is that we, we dominated the hit outs. It was 41 hit outs to 25, but we didn't dominate in the clearances or in the center clearances, they were pretty much bang on even um, include stoppage clearances in that as well. So um, yeah, interesting to note that we were on top in the ruck, uh, which I think everyone probably knew that GWS didn't have the strongest ruck set up going into the game. And uh, we weren't able to really capitalize on that uh, in the stoppages there. The other one is probably the, um, the inside 50s, obviously, with all those scoring shots, means that we have more inside 50s. So we had 11 more inside 50s. Uh, we had 13 more scoring shots, but only won the game by um, 13 points, and that was to do with our 33% conversion.
0: Yeah, and look, the work inside 50, apart from the uh, kicking a goal, was actually not too bad. We have 11, 11 marks inside 50s and 10 tackles inside fifty. So that's probably... What allowed us to get so many shots on goal was that repeat effort, the defensive work, which is something that we've um, struggled with over the time. So it's good to see, you know, the two young small fields and Menzies and, and Davey, even Jakey Stringer, got a couple of tackles inside 50 Then really set up his
1: game on the back of working hard defensively. We'll move into the good, bad and ugly. So to start us off with the good um, three out of four wins to start the season, to be honest, that's probably better than I expected. And we did look at the first four games and say, hey, we're a shot here. But based on the baseball coming off last year and kind of the level of our performances, I think if you had have offered me three out of four wins at the start of the season, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. So I think, you know, there's been times on this podcast over the last month in these games where we've voiced frustration, and this one's probably no different. Um, in the first you know, six minutes that we've been on now. But uh, I think overall, three out of four wins is a pretty positive start to the year and is um, going a long way to making a lot of fans pretty happy and giving them a bit of joy. Especially with those, all those games, we haven't
0: dominated from siren to siren. There's been parts in games where we started slowly in a couple of games. The opposition has come back at us. So They'll have had a run on them. We've had the lack of momentum. And in previous years, we've really struggled to you know, stop the momentum early or even come back into the game. So those are positive signs in the wins this year whilst recognising that there is room for improvement going forward. I guess one area of the ground that we, we really worked well on the weekend is the ruck and obviously the duo of Draper and Phillips. That I know, Mark, we're, we're both big fans of playing the two ruckmen there and I thought on the weekend it worked really well. So big big drapes, had 15 disposals, five marks, kicked one goal, one on with three on 50s and three clearances. And then Phillips, despite only having six disposals, had the six marks, five inside 50s. I thought Phillips had a very big in- impact from low possession. I think early on he was probably close to our best player. Gets around he puts his body in the right spots. And if he doesn't mark it, it brings the ball to ground in the contest and gets the smaller players involved, and I think that's really, really important for all key position players, but especially the, the second ruck, who's kind of playing forward of the ball, who's kind of he's just getting there. Don't get in the way of the forwards and their leading patterns, but be a presence,
1: bring impact. Yeah, it's interesting there that you mentioned that he had six disposals, and I, I reckon about five of those were in the first quarter. As you said, he was sort of started really well, um, but I felt the. As he said, his, his influence continued through the game. So just goes to show that, yeah, you don't have to get a lot of the ball to, to have an impact on the game. Someone who did get a bit of the ball and had a big impact on the game was Jake Stringer. So he had the 15 disposals and he kicked four goals, six. Uh, had the three tackles of two of those inside 50, as he mentioned as well, and um, got himself four clearances. So I, th- I felt like Jake was one of the turning points. I think Phillips was one of those guys who stood up early and sort of showed that effort. And then I felt like Jake was probably the other guy who um, – who really kind of took it upon himself to try and turn the game in our favour and and start something different happening. And, yeah, he was inaccurate, but if you're having 10 shots up goal and you kick four of them, I think I'm pretty happy with that anyway. Well, yeah, I think uh, I was
0: watching Footy Classified last night and they had uh, the coach Brad Scott on and Kane called and said, uh, are you disappointed you don't get that more consistently out of Jake? And I think Brad Scott (laughs) said it quite eloquently. He said... If you had 10 shots on goal every week, you'd be the best player of all time. <laughs> so that's not a realistic ask for um for a player to have 10 shots on goals every week. But um yeah, I just think what well, I was more surprised with wasn't the offensive stuff. I was more pleased with the defensive stuff, like you mentioned, those those tackles, the presence, just being a being a big ball, a couple of those behinds, He's just He just gone in there, ripped the ball out of the pack and slapped it on his boot to try and progress the ball forward. And in the past, we've been guilty of trying to be a bit cute, trying to kick through things. So sometimes you just need someone to get in there and get the ball out going your way. And I thought Jake did that
1: really well for us on the weekend. We'll move on to the midfield now who won plenty of the ball. So read through a few of the players here and a couple of general stats. Parrish, 30 disposals. Merritt, 28 disposals. Shield, 28 disposals. Setterfield, 21. And uh, Martin twenty four. So, um, yeah, some, some good numbers there uh, from the midfield, all sharing a pretty equal uh, spread of the footy. I, I guess GWS's midfield also went pretty well, but um, uh, yeah, can't really complain about that. And probably a bit of a special mention, I guess, to Dylan Shield had a had a bit of a rough start. I feel like last year or, or through the middle of the year at least. Had a had a good finish to last year, and has started this year in ripping form. So uh, it's good to see Dill playing with some confidence. Yes, and
0: the I really like the blend of our midfield at the moment. There we got Parishes winning a heap of the ball and getting massive amounts of clearances and score involvement, seven a piece each. Merritt has started to hit the scoreboard a bit more this year, which I think has been. One element of his game, that's kind of stopped him from being in the elite. So he kicked one goal and one on the weekend. Shield, as you mentioned, is being impactful with his kicking. I think he's starting to grow more confidence in that. Had the six inside fifties. Centerfield has been a, a real standout across the across the side with his defensive pressure. So he had seven tackles, which was a, a high for the side on the weekend. And pretty much every week he's, the, he's our leading tackler. And really using that big frame to good effect, which, you know, Adds the composition. And then Marto on the wing, two goals, one, six score involvements. He's a really important player for us in score involvements, in that he's part of the chain that sets us up the score. So often when we kick a goal, somewhere in that chain, Martin's had a big impact. And that's really important for us uh, to be successful.
1: And hit the scoreboard three times himself is, is pretty handy to, to kick two goals, one as well. So we'll move on to the bad. Uh, the ball got over the back a few times in the defensive half, which left us really exposed. And I guess a, a stat that not necessarily directly relates to this, but maybe shows the defensive pressure in general, is that there was nine players that laid one tackle or less, and five of those players didn't lay a tackle at all. Um, some of those players around the ball plenty as well and, and could be giving a bit more defensively. So I guess the concern is there yeah, that just, you know, maybe GWS weren't the strongest competition uh, to play against, but if we do play against some stronger sides, if the ball's going to get over the back like that, we're going to quickly get exposed, probably like we did against St Kilda, really, in that first quarter. And we talked a lot last year, Mark, about a good
0: markup for what's par in a game should be one tackle a quarter for for every player. You know, when you consider that, you know, Sutterfield's had seven on his own, and I think... Four of those, nine had one tackle. So nine players in total had half of the amount of tackles that he had himself. Um, Yeah, it's a real real sign that that is something that needs to be improved. You know, I think that's a real sign tackling of intense and defensive effort. And, you know, you don't have to be the best player to tackle. It's all about effort and willpower. So to get those tackle number up... I think will make us a more dangerous side and a side that's harder to play against and harder to score and move the ball against. And that's really important because that's probably our biggest weakness, ball getting moved against us, especially defensive transition from our back line, oh, our
1: forward line into our back line. The next one here in the bag category, we just gave the midfield a bit of a wrap for their performance, but maybe more so from a coaching point of view, I um... On a selection point of view, perhaps as well, is the lack of midfield creativity. So we've mentioned this a few times uh, this year already. That uh, centre bounce attendances on the weekend: no Perkins, no Caldwell, and only two for Stringer. Um, if anything, I would have expected none from Stringer, considering you know that he was coming back through the VFL recently. And would have expected that maybe Caldwell and Perkins share some of the loads. So like as you said, we've got a good midfield mix and, you know, maybe the idea is not to play with that too much. But at the same time, we need to be getting experience and, you know, rotations through people like Perkins and Caldwell. they they've come to the club as midfielders. Yeah, they might not be able to get, you know, ninety minutes in the midfield at the moment in there. But if something, God forbid, was to happen to one of those guys that we just mentioned. Play in the midfield on the weekend. We need these guys ready to go and to have the confidence to go in there and a 10-set of bounces and play in the midfield.
0: And like we discussed with Setterfield, they hit their points of difference players in that midfield. Caldwell is can win his own ball, he's great beneath his knees, he's a one-touch player beneath his knees, but he adds that defensive pressure. He can do a tag job, he can, you know, he can win his own pill. And then, same with Perkins bigger frame. He, he's a forward of centre player, Perkins. I don't think he's going to be circling around the back, getting too many cheap touches, one man at the back, handball receive. He's a see ball, get ball, push ball forward. Uh, so we need those players in our midfield because what happens if centre field goes down? We don't really have anyone to, to replace that that role that he plays. Perko could be that guy. You know, if we get a case, you know, in the coming weeks, we're playing to pretty good sides with a lot of good midfielders. We need to lock down on a particular player that's really, really hurting us. If we haven't exposed someone like Corwell in that role consistently, right? You know, well, then you're asking a Blake to kind of guess he can do it, but he hasn't done it very often. He's not as effective as what he could be. It's all about balance. You know, we want to. Everybody wants to win the ball, but sometimes you need to balance winning the ball with defending and. You know, we talked earlier in the year, Mark, about the old ice hockey lines theory of how you kind of you balance your midfield and they rotate in and out. A bit more of that would be good good to see.
1: Next one here is moving on to a different positional line is probably the halfbacks here. So the halfbacks also got plenty of the ball, but at what cost? So Redmond, for example, had a really good game, but he was playing on Daniels, who also had a good game. He had 22 disposals, six marks, kicked one goal, one. Six inside 50s and eight score involvements. So, when you balance that out, you know, maybe they equaled each other out. They both ended up kicking a goal, they both had score involvements. And then we move on to Andy McGrath playing mostly on Callum Ward. Ward had 22 disposals, five marks, kicked two goals, one had six score involvements. I felt that at crucial times in the game, he popped up and, and was able to get on the end of um, some shots on goal then we've got Jake Kelly playing on heavy Green. Obviously, Green's an incredibly hard player to match up on and play, but you he know, had 18 disposals, eight marks, kicked two goals too, you know, could have easily equaled Jake Stringer with, with the goals. So probably to a lesser extent, Kelly, because I think that that's a harder role to play on that lockdown, you know, elite forward. But for Redmond and McGrath there, the players that they were directly opposed to also had plenty of the ball. And um, I guess we want a defensive mindset probably first from those sort of guys. We, especially as a backman. Look,
0: and we ta identify those three players because between them have had nine shots on goal and kicked five goals themselves, in addition to fifteen inside fifties. Uh, and yes, it's really good to be really attacking. Like Redmond got was in the coach's vote and I thought did played a really offensive game really well. But I think his overall performance is probably lowered because he's playing on someone that's had an equally impactful performance and I think if we had lost this game right I think we'd be talking a lot about geez Daniels he had a big impact in the game Ward a big impact from the game I know we were talking that Callum Ward is almost like back to his his all Australian best there and he and Ward is always someone that plays well against us has since he's been at the Bulldogs just a real difficult matchup for us so we we need to really focus on those types of players and stop them impacting the game. So, yeah, just something to remember going forward is, yes, it's great to be attacking and it helps set up our play and the, the modern football is, you know, the whole quarterback, you move from halfback and whatever. But you're a defender first. got to beat your man first and then be attacking. That's how, that's how
1: I see it. Last one we've got in the bad category here is just playing players out of position again. And we've harped on this a few times this year, but Langford, he was down back again. He had 12 disposals, three marks and four tackles. He went forward for what felt like three minutes and managed to kick a goal pretty much straight away. And then the next time I saw him, he was down back again. So I just don't really understand why we've got a guy who plays well playing forward, doesn't set the world on fire down back, and we've probably got other people to cover that role. We're crying out for a forward at the moment with all the injuries to, you know, people like Bright and Wiedemann uh, and the like. And we're not playing this guy forward who can give us something up there as well. Potentially, you know, as as sort of that taller target uh, playing that role. So, yeah, it just baffles me a bit why we're not playing Langford forward all the time or at least more often.
0: I agree with you. And I I can understand why Brad Scott and the coaching team have looked to play Langford behind the ball. He's a good kick. He's a solid runner, strong buddy, body, good overhead. But I'll just read you through a couple of names. These are all guys who are defenders or who could play in that role. Ridley, Redmond, Kelly, McGrath, Durham, Heppel, Laverdi. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's seven blokes in the actual side that played on the weekend that could play the same role or similar fold that Leverdi plays. And then we've got, Hind and Massimo, who, whilst not going to play the exact same roles that we are asking Langford, are defenders who provide run and carry and kicking in their back in the back line. So that's what nine players that can play that role. Now I ask you, Mark, can you name me the players who are currently available to planning forward line who are capable of taking a mark and kick five
1: goals? Yeah, I'm gonna struggle there. Like Wiedemann obviously went out of the game early and you would you would hope to throw him in there. Rights obviously on the sidelines for the bulk of this year, so we can't can't include him at the moment because he didn't play in the side on the weekend. Uh, you know, Draper had to drift forward, so you could maybe throw Draper in there as a resting forward. Phillips, you could maybe throw in there. So we're up to maybe like three at the moment. Um, Stringer, Stringer, Jones, Jones. So what
0: you've what you've listed there is you've listed a bloke that's out for the year with a shoulder. Two Ruffman. Uh, one bloke is coming back off a poor pre-season in Stringer. Jones, who every week this week, the entire Essendon community has said, oh, geez, he's struggling and he could be dropped. And then a bike that's just been concussed. <laughs> and then we're looking at guys in the VFL. Paddy Voss, who hasn't played a game. Kane Baldwin, who's actually playing as a defender. And Nick Bryan, who's currently injured, but he's a Ruckman. So I would suggest, you know, with all the blokes we could possibly play as defenders, we're overstocked in that area and we're understocked in the forward line. So use the asset that we have in Langford and playing forward and hopefully um, we can get a perform imagine if we had Stringer and and Langford played the two weeks they had in the same game. It would be a bloody difficult
1: matchup and side the beat. I don't think there's anything I can add to that. It's, uh, I think you can say that you rest your case. It's uh, well put. Um, we'll move on to the ugly category. We'll roll through this pretty quickly. But conversion, we've banged on about it a number of times. And we've obviously mentioned the 33% figure. So there's not much more to say there. Conversion, terribly ugly this week. Injuries to Wiedemann and Davy. So Wiedemann, obviously, with a concussion that you just mentioned. Davy was hobbling around with an ankle-related looking injury. Um, at the end of the game, so hopefully that's nothing serious, and then I'll let you have a talk through disposal efficiency that was below 70 percent for some players.
0: Yeah, so 11 players, so half the side went below 70 percent in efficiency, and this was a game played under a roof in pristine conditions. Um, I wouldn't say the game was under immense pressure, I think at one stage. They had the uh, the pressure ratings on Fox watching back on replay, and both sides were listed as poor. So, <laughs> for for two players to be under fifty percent, and the majority to be in the in the mid to low sixties, I think is a concern when you're thinking this is played a game under no pressure in perfect conditions
1: move on to the heath hockey medal i'll start with mine and um there might be some names in here that people maybe don't agree with or are a bit surprised by so i might just give a bit of a description of my reasoning so jake stringer five votes thought he was really the difference early nick martin uh was really clean and uh i thought that he played well but beyond his years of experience so four votes for nick martin My three votes I gave to Zach Merritt. Uh, I thought that he stood up and, as you said, he started to hit the scoreboard. I I was really hoping that that second goal went through, that would have been really the icing on the cake to the game. But I thought he had a really well-rounded game anyway. Mm -hmm. Jai Minzi, I gave my two votes. Uh, I think he had 17 on disposals and didn't kick a goal, but was really clean at the base of the contest. And I think being a small forward in that side at the moment is pretty hard when there's a lack of tall forwards. But I think Jai's done really well and had a good game on the weekend. Then Andrew Phillips, I gave him one vote. Not often that you give a guy votes who's had six disposals, but as we said earlier, it wasn't really about the disposals. It was about what he was offering and the, the difference that he was bringing to the game. So my five votes for Jade Stringer, four votes Will Setterfield,
0: three votes Zach Merritt, two votes Nick Martin, and one vote Sam Draper.
1: Let's go to a break, Brendan, and come back with the VFL news. So in the VFL, Brennan, it was the game against the Northern Bull Ants and it was Essendon that came out on top, 12-16-88 to Northern Bull 9-11-65. So this game was moved to Port Melbourne's ground. I think there was an issue with um, where the Bull Ants play. Uh, it wasn't a terribly fantastic game uh, to watch. Sometimes you watch a VFL game and you go, that, gee, that was a really good quality game of footy. I, I don't think this one falls into that category, much like the AFL one that we just reviewed. But um, nonetheless, it was good to get get the win and uh, move on with the four points. And let's have a look at the stats.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I guess the first stat there is conversion, Mark. 12 goals, 16. So 28 shots on goal there. Um, number 50 inside 50s is 64 tackles and I guess... The kicks double the kicks to handball, which I think is a positive sign.
1: Yeah, definitely, it's uh, definitely the right way to play and be. Um, it's going to be good to to continue watching the BFL and hopefully as that group gets a little bit closer, there's a lot of new players obviously playing with each other as they gel a bit more. Be good to see where they are at in another month or so. So of the AFL listed players, uh, Ben Hobbs had a really good game: twenty-seven disposals, four marks, kicked one goal, one, and had seven tackles. So he's doing everything he can to force his way back into the AFL side. Will Snelling, 25 disposals, five marks, two goals, one and nine tackles. So pretty similar games there from Hobbs and Snelling, both, both putting their hand up. Lewis Hayes, 17 disposals, uh, the seven marks and a tackle. Good game from Lewis Hayes because um, uh, Baldwin was out and Hayes had to sort of step up a bit. He's a, he's a real tall tall player and, uh, yeah, like what I'm seeing so far. Nick Hind had the 20 disposals, six marks and a tackle. Alistair Lord, your boy, you have the 18 disposals, five marks and a tackle. And I'll let you continue on. Uh,
0: Rhett Montgomery, 21 disposals, nine marks, two tackles. He's another one we can add to the list, Mark, of uh, senior mature players that can play in the back line so Langer's can go forward. Uh, Paddy Voss, 11 disposals, six marks, uh, another five shots on goal. Unfortunately, this week, we'd like the senior side kick one goal, four, five tackles. Tex Wanganeen, seven disposals, three tackles, two marks. Keen McBride, a, a bit of a bigger game from Keen this week. Ten disposals, three marks, four hitouts, and one behind. Massimo, 16 touches, five marks. Tipper, 10 disposals, one mark, two goals. And Anthony Mankara, he's doubled his output from last week. Two disposals and one tackle. So, all around Mark, what. Who who of that lot do you think is uh, is going to come in? Hobbs and Snelling had really good performances back-to-back. Uh, those tackle numbers from two smaller players, seven and nine respectively, I think I think is really, really big. And they're probably the two guys ahead of Hine and, and Massimo who who had good days but certainly weren't the standouts.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think Hobbs and Snelling are the obvious ones. Uh, Voss with his shots on goal again, I, I don't think his conversion is should be seen as a blight on him and he should be well and truly still in the selection frame. So I think they're probably they're probably the three. And then I think there's other guys that are playing well, but it's more just about, you know, Rep Montgomery, for example, has played a few good games in a row. But, you know, as you said, we're playing forwards in defence at the moment. So he's got he's not only got to get someone like that out of the way, but a, a, another back went out as well. So Um, Yeah, good to see. You know, even players like Tipper getting his hands on the ball and you know putting himself probably into the discussion again. So uh, they sit seventh on the ladder. Three games played now for two wins and one loss. Next week they play the Casey Demons on Sunday, five past two at the Hangar. Uh, We'll move on to the VFLW now. It was um, pretty hard game. It was Essendon two goals two fourteen to Carlton ten goals eight sixty eight. So. Copped a bit of a beating there uh, from the arch rivals, and um, the stats sort of showed that uh, a, a little bit. There, they sort of had the better of, of most parts of the stats. Uh, there was a lot of tackles in this game. We had the seventy six tackles, which was a good sign of the pressure. Um, they really beat us up around the ruck and uh, also the inside fifties there as well.
0: That's right. So we'll just go through the, the leading disposal uh, getters: uh, Alana Barber. Starting continuing her really good start to the season 19 disposals, one mark, and three tackles. Uh, Sophie Molan 19 disposals, five marks. Bella Clark 14 disposals, two marks. And the big ruckman or ruck woman, Meg Ryan 13 disposals, two marks, six tackles, and 17 hit outs. That's a, that's a big game from a, from a ruck in the, in the women's game. And then obviously, our two goal scorers, Joanne Doonan 17 disposals five tackles, and Paige got 13 disposals, four marks and six tackles, both with a with a goal each.
1: So the, the girls sit 10th on the ladder after three games. Uh, they've had the one draw in there as well, so two losses and a draw. And they play Casey as well next week at the Hangar uh, at 11am, so just before the VFL on Sunday. So you can do the, the double at the Hangar, given that the, the um, AFL team will be interstate. Good opportunity to support the other uh, divisions of the club down there at the hangar. So let's take another break and we'll come back to preview the AFL game. So round five is gather round. So all games in Adelaide this week and Essendon versus Melbourne will be at Adelaide Oval on Saturday afternoon at 10 past four. So Brendan, it's a top four clash. Which no one expected, and there'll be no one there to see it. No, I shouldn't say that. There's there's plenty of um, there's plenty of Essendon support all around the country, and it's a good opportunity for the Adelaide-based Essendon Playful to to get down and see the the side, and they're in good form, so hopefully they'll put on a good show for them. Yeah, you're right with that. We do have a lot of fans around the country, but I know in,
0: in South Australia we have we have a strong strong base there, and I guess it'd be a really good opportunity for kind of like in previous years. So we talk about. The Dreamtime game we had in the West during COVID, how that was clearly a dominant Essendon side. And we, you know, when we went down to Tassie after Hawthorne had sold their soul for a decade and a half and we smashed them, you know, I think it was in Hobart there, it was pure Essendon. You couldn't see any Hawthorne down there. So this is a real chance for our South Australian based supporters to really show up and show that, you know, Adelaide is Essendon country and, um, I get a really good chance for them with Draper, Redmond, BZT, all Adelaide boys. They're probably three of our top five best slash most important players at the moment. So get there, really support the boys and um, give good atmosphere to the Adelaide Oval. It'll be great to see uh, the Red and Black faithful really drown out Melbourne there and hopefully they can spur us on to a win in the state, which is something we probably haven't seen a lot
1: over the journey. Well said. We'll move on to the injury list. So I'll roll through a few names here. Nick Bryan with his hamstring, he'll be a test. Uh, hopefully we see him come back by the VFL this week. Uh, Kane Baldwin, or as, as I believe he was referred to in the VFL broadcast a couple of weeks ago, Kane Bladwin, he had a concussion and is a test. So he's missed the week already. So he should be back in the VFL side. Um, hopefully he's over that uh, issue. Owen Davy uh, had a couple of injuries on the weekend. So he started with a shoulder then had the ankle as well. So I'm not sure what's caused him the most discomfort, hopefully neither, but he, he will be a test. And maybe it's a sign that he needs, you know, a, a week. And the players that we just mentioned in Hobbs, Snelling, Tipper, even, uh, you know, those sort of players are, are maybe a, an opportunity for David to have a rest. Sam Wiedemann copped a nasty concussion on the week and uh, against GWS, he'll be out for a week. Zach Reed with his back, he's edging closer. I think he's listed as sort of two to three weeks now. So excited to see uh, to see Zach back out there. And then
0: we'll moving into some more longer-term injuries. Uh, Guelphie with that nasty hammy, five to six. I heard over the week in there, Mark, that the hamstring strain itself isn't that bad. It's like a standard strain. It's the location of the strain that's causing the trouble. So apparently it's in a part of the hamstring, probably higher up near the tendon, which has really poor blood flow, which makes healing hard and often leads to repeat tears. And so that's the length of the injury is that it's the location. Therefore, they have to just give it time to make sure it doesn't repeat as opposed to it being a Matty Lloyd hamstring off the bone type tear. So it's really good to see. And hopefully with Guelph, we give him the full five to seven weeks. It may be even a bit longer. And make sure we don't have recurrence because you don't want soft tissue injuries to hang around, especially in an area that is um, hard to heal. And then with Guelph, the way Guelph plays, he's been an explosive tackler, launches his body into it, so he will need that hammy at, a, at its best. Uh, Nick Cox with his back, seven weeks. Uh, Sardis, knee, still eight to nine weeks away. Peter Wright with his shoulder, 13 to 15 weeks. Stuart with his foot, plantar fascia. Still don't have a time frame on that. That's sounding like it's probably going to be longer than shorter. And Jaden Davy with his knee. Uh, we'll move on to Melbourne now. Uh, ben Brown was a uh, late out last week for the Ds with a back injury. Um, not quite sure how far away he's going to be. Uh, Max Gorn and Christian Stalen are both missing with a knee. And then it's uh, players like Joel Smith, Will Varel and Tajwa Woden who won't be available. But really, um, Gorn and Salem are uh, in there. Gorn's probably close to their best player. Salem's definitely in their top 10. And then Ben Brown, um, who quite knows where Ben is at Melbourne. Uh, I've I said this before about Ben Brown. It's funny how you can be such a good player in a poor side in North Melbourne and then go, especially as a key forward. He had four years there, he kicked 65 goals in a, every year and then go to a much better side getting much better service in Melbourne and be in, in and out of the site. So, um, bit of a bit of a different one there with Ben, but knowing our luck, and he'll
1: probably kick come out and kick 10 against us. <laughs> Tajmo Woden is he the son of the famous 2000 Brownlow medalist?
0: He is the son of the 2000 Brownlow <laughs> medalist, and um, by all reports, um, a taller player to his old man, maybe defender, but um, very hard runner. Like his father, and his father was well at least for one year uh, a very good player. And I think he get Shane gets a little bit probably maligned in that they say oh Shane brand Brownlow medalist. But if you go back and you watch the games of football he played that year. He was legitimately one of the one of the stars of the competition in a side that made a grand final. So <laughs> you can't really knock knock his. Uh, 2,000 year and you don't you don't win a Brownlow by accident
1: well, Let's go through what Melbourne's um, side might look like I guess when they play us on the weekend so across the back line we've got Jack Lever, Stephen May, Trent Rivers, Mitch Hibbard, Harrison Petty and Angus Brayshaw uh,
0: The centres are Hunter, Ed Langdon on the wings Clayton Oliver in the middle followed by Brody Grundy, Krishna Petrarca and Jack Viney
1: and through the forward line, James Harms, Tom McDonald, Jake Bowie, uh, Kasai Pickett, Jacob Van Ruin, Bailey Fritch in the forward line there. And then on the interchange bench, Tom Sparrow, uh, Bailey Laurie, Alex Nill-Bullen, Charlie Spargo, and um, some other names we've got here that might be the sub is someone like James Jordan. And then emergencies would be Adam Tomlinson, Jake Melksham, Kate Chandler, and Ben Brown, who you just mentioned. So I guess reading through all those names... Um, you know, we've just listed probably 26 odd names. Uh, pretty, pretty strong depth that they've got there, Melbourne.
0: Yeah, that will just go from the back line there. Stephen May is probably the best defender in the competition, if not top three. Uh, Harrison Petty is actually one of the underrated players in the competition. Strong player, strong above his head, can play either end. Here's someone we've got to watch. Uh, maybe they flick him forward as a bit of a swing man, goes for a take a mark, kick a goal. Uh, Lever is a good as that third up player. Nobody kind of float across, help you. Uh, Rivers is coming into his own as a player and potentially might push into the midfield a little bit. Angus Brayshaw, Melbourne supporters and inside the Melbourne team itself, they rate, exceptionally highly for the what he does, the role he plays. He's kind of like that gel, glue guy that makes all the other pieces work better for the role that he plays, a bit of an unheralded role. And then uh, the big pig, Hibbo, I think all Essendon fans uh, know how damaging he can be and especially that, that big left foot off halfback. He's been a very good player at both Essendon and Melbourne and um, <clears throat> it be good to see him play on the weekend. Do you want to talk through the... Uh,
1: Star, started midfield of the Ds. <laughs> yeah, I guess where do you start? You know, you mentioned um, Ed Langdon on the wing and Lockie Hunter, you know, those very established players. Ed Langdon was a, was a huge part of their premiership side only a couple of years ago. Uh, Clayton Oliver needs no introduction. He's just a, a really hard, hard nut, sort of hard running, high possession player who, who gets plenty of it. And then his mate there, Christian Petrarca, is much the same but probably with a, with a touch more class added that can do kind of those special things around goal and, um, you know, his big long kick as well, so he's dangerous no matter where he is on the ground. Jake Viney, another hard nut who, you know, goes in, dives in, gets the ball, um, you know, tackles hard. And then uh, Brody Grundy there in, in the rucker, uh, you know, they were unlucky to lose Max Gorn, who was arguably the best ruckman in the comp over the last, you know, two or three years. And then um got Grundy, who was probably the, the previous uh, the successor that before Gorn as the best ruckman. So um he stepped up into that role. So probably fortunately we don't have to play against both of them, but there's just stars everywhere through that midfield.
0: Yeah, Oliver and Petrarca in particular, they're probably two of the best five midfielders in the competition. And if you included all players, they'd probably both be both be top ten um two. Big, strong bodies, um, but play really well together. Oliver's that real extractor grunt player. And Petrarca, as you said, has got that bit of a burst, can win his own ball, but really burst out of stoppage and be a bit more attacking and flair with his kicking inside 50. It's going to be a very difficult matchup for us. Uh, half their forward line, Coszy Pickett, um, just an electrifying star, uh, small forward, very dangerous player. He's, he's one he's probably going to add to their reel of small forwards that have cut up Essendon over the journey. Uh, Bailey Fritch, we know about. Very difficult matchup up slippery top player. Too tall for a medium, too pacey for a, for a key position player. Uh, James Harms is obviously one we actually try to get across to the club in the off-season there. Strong body, can play mid, half-forward. He's actually quite good above his head and can kick a goal. Tom McDonald, a a real veteran now of this Melbourne side, um, can hit up at the ball, strong mark. And then Jacob brown who's a young key position player, potentially in his third game, I think, of AFL football. um, Very promising type and I think is probably the guy that most Melbourne supporters think to be the future of their forward line. So all up, I think, will be quite a strong side for us to come up against. Did you just want to go through some of the matchups there, Mike? Yeah,
1: Mark? we'll quickly roll through some matchups. So, Tom McDonald, uh, you mentioned key hit up forward, plenty of experience. BZT is probably the obvious one there. He's kind of become that key backman. He's got the height, he's got a bit of strength about him now. Uh, Cozzy Pickett, you mentioned, is pretty dangerous up forward. He's strong, he's quick, uh, he's unpredictable. Jake Kelly, I guess, is the guy that we brought in to do those lockdown roles. So, that's an obvious one. If not, Andy McGrath's probably got that pace uh, to go with him. It's going to be a difficult matchup um, regardless, though. Yeah, so next we've got Jack Finney. He's kind of the
0: heartbeat of that side. He's the, uh, the old quote-unquote spiritual leader. Smaller body, but just pure effort, grunt. Uh, loves a tackle. Um, I guess Darcy Parrish... Is probably a similar stature and plays a similar role in that he's going to be under the ruckman's nose, really in and out there trying to get clearance. So that might be a good matchup. up uh, Brodie Grundy, obviously, is going to be the number one ruck. I think Andy Phillips would be the one I would go to. I think most people would say, oh, no, Sam Draper, and potentially Draper being an Adelaide boy in front of his family, he might want to step up and and dominate. But if we go back through the, uh, through the archives there, I think people will find that Andrew Phillips has quite a good record against Brady Grundy. It's just one of those matchups there that um, Phillips plays well and often has the better of Grundy. So that's the where I would go to at the start. And Petrarca and Oliver, we talked about earlier. Mark, I think with Oliver being that more inside player, I think Setterfield is that bigger frame to be brought in to play that role. And then with Petrarca, I think they'll go Dylan Shield as that inside-outside player. But I think this might be a real opportunity to get some midfield minutes into Archie Perkins, uh, potentially show Perko this is the type of player we want you to be going forward, that real forward of centre burst player. So it might be an opportunity, you know, for Archie to get some of those dreaded learnings and uh,
1: have a good game. Yeah, it'd be good to see the young man in there. Um, Clayton Oliver, uh, obviously we spoke about him as an inside beast. Will Setterfield, probably the obvious one there. He's been having a really good year, so hopefully his quad's not too sore and he can do that. Ed Langdon on the wing. Sam Durham has been having a really good year as well, and I think Sam's got the sort of tenacity to go with someone. Ed Langdon's not probably the hardest player out there, and I think that that's probably a good contrast because Sam Durham might not have all the you know, the silky kind of skills that Ed Langdon has, but he's got the heart and he's got the, the physicality. So I think that that would be a really interesting matchup. Bailey Fritch is, is a forward that we've struggled with, that a lot of teams have struggled with over the years, is that difficult sort of third-tall matchup. And Jordan Ridley, kind of similar kind of physique and uh, smarts about him as well. So uh, maybe Ridley can go to Fritch and keep him honest. Angus Brayshaw... Uh, is probably, maybe a good matchup there for Jai Caldwell. If Col- Caldwell's playing half forward and Brayshaw off half back, I think that'd be a pretty interesting matchup and, and one that would be pretty tough contest. And then Stephen May uh, down back, I think I'm a little bit concerned about them having so much firepower down back and us not really having much depth up forward at the moment. And that might mean that Sam Draper drifts down just to try and nullify Stephen May's influence and to, I guess, stop him from you know running off and intercepting and doing the things that he normally does. I think this is a really
0: important matchup, the Stephen May matchup. up In the past there, we've seen us just bomb the ball in and May just destroy us. He's such a physical man that we really need someone who can go with him body to body. And with, you know, Drapes or Phillips are probably going to be the two there. I've, we've enlisted Draper just because I think he's been playing forward a bit more. I think physically he could probably go with May a bit better. I think... May might have him in the wrestle, even though Drapes is a very strong man. But I think once Drapes gets on the move, his height, his leap, in combination with his strength, I think is going to be a very difficult matchup for May. And that's going to see someone like Petty drop off, try and help out. Someone like Lever drop off, try and help out. And that's where Drapes can use more of his ruck craft as a forward to kind of get the ball down to our smalls, get, you know, Stringer or Langford who are probably going to be our other two key forwards there get them some better matchups and better looks and he might also play kind of, it's funny you wouldn't think about this 30 years ago play a decoy, decoy role as the full forward. The full forward is essentially trying to drag the fullback away from goal to let other players um, have some better one-on-one matchups
1: and wins. So team selection ins and outs, uh, Sam Wiedemann we know is out with the that nasty concussion he copped, um, we don't – well, we do and we don't have a, a suitable replacement to come in. So I guess um, do we have another full forwards and a half forward sitting there? Kind of yes, kind of no. Probably more so no in, in the traditional sense of the word. But there is a guy obviously playing that role at VFL level and we know that that's Voss. So um, he's an option there. But the one that we've listed on the sheet here is actually Ben Hobbs. Um, I guess, most in form in the VFL and um, and uh, could possibly come in there. So what do, I'll let you move on to the next one.
0: Yeah, so you talked earlier about one having the stinger in the shoulder and his ankle. It might be just a chance just to rest him. You don't want to burden a young player with injury, making him play, travel as well. So Will Snelling could come in uh, for that. And then Harry Jones, again, we don't... <laughs> Don't really want to criticise the young guy too much there. But you talk about Voss. Uh, Kane Baldwin should be fit as well. So potentially if we wanted to uh, drop Jones as well as Wiedemann, there's voss Ballwin combination. Uh, Baldwin is a South Australian. So I know my, some people might think that's a little bit silly, but I do think subconsciously guys like that might want to lift, especially they're playing in Melbourne a lot of time. You don't really get back to play against friends and family in an opportunity where you might have the majority of the support there as well. So I think he could come in and play a role. And then obviously Vossi there. Um, Yeah, uh, finding a replacement for Weedman is difficult in that they've talked a lot, or Brad Scott has talked a lot about every week in the post match Prince. How did Patrick Voss go today? How's he, you know? They talked about, yeah, he's doing a lot of things well, but there's a few things they want to. And get his game working a bit better so when he comes into the senior side he can um, perform straight away and I think reading between the lines in that they want him to get up the ground a bit more because you know we talk about how he's not really playing a similar jo- game to Jones, Jones is that hit up player in an AFL that's how he's getting a lot of his possessions whereas Vossi at 194 is able to monster guys in the VFL but will he be able to do that at AFL. So Vossy did come in. He's nineteen. He'd play full forward. Could he go to Stephen May? Now you think Voss is big and strong and bullocking, but so is Stephen May. And Stephen May's got a decade of lifting weights and wrestling big boys on him. And do you really want to expose Voss to that matchup in his first game? Baldwin <laughs> is only a couple of years older, but I think the difference between twenty two and nineteen might be enough to see him get a game. Having said that, he's playing back in the VFL. So haven't really set him up to come in as a forward. So I think it's unlikely. I think Jones will stay on the side. But if we did want to replace Weedman with a like for like player, I think it's out of
1: Voss and Baldwin. The other one that we don't have mentioned on the sheet here is um, Tyson Heppel, and uh, the reason I bring this up is not because of the form and all the discussion around him. I think he actually had a really good game on the weekend and played that role well. Um, I think the reason why I bring this up is because earlier in the year, before that discussion even started, before before it and maybe into a bounce, um, Brad Scott actually mentioned that you know he'd had a good preseason. He played, I think. Every game, or all but one game last year, and he, he made reference to the fact that they would manage him through the year, which to me indicated that maybe some of these interstate games, um, maybe he wouldn't go, maybe maybe you know he'd be rested for those sort of things or whatever. So I think that there's going to be games where he gets rested and managed, um, so that he can see through the year and and be able to contribute through the year. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see Hebel as just a uh, I guess listed as managed, and and it be a genuine managed slash rest. Um, that, that's the one that wouldn't surprise me if that got thrown up on the on the selection. Yeah, came in as a sub like last week, Dyson, had the 19
0: touches, three marks, three inside 50s, three rebound 50s and a couple of tackles. I, as you said, thought he played a pretty decent game for coming in the position that he did, but it was one of those games in the weekend where
1: apart from Jake, uh, nobody really stood out as having an excellent performance. Dice also went at 100% efficiency, which I think probably silenced some of these critics and um, was also p- pretty notable in a game where efficiency wasn't very notable itself. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't really fault the game he had considering the role that he was playing. But I, I do like your suggestion
0: of um, him being managed in some of these inner state trips. I think... I think, don't think this week will be the week, just because I think it will put pressure on him. He's finally had a decent game; they'd probably want a bit more um, continuity into his football. I think also being the first trip in the state this year, having his leadership around the group, and maybe get us a win might be the case. But I do think I do agree with you that later in the year, I think we got we got a trip to West Coast, we might have a trip to Port Adelaide. I think those are games. We might see him kind of maybe phased out, especially with guys maybe like Mastermate in the VFL if he continues to put up good performances could come in and that's the way we kind of phase in some some new players into the side.
1: Yeah, as you said, maybe it's not this week. I know we play at the Gabba over the next sort of six weeks or so. Um, as you said, maybe maybe Perth, you know, Adelaide's <laughs> about forty-five minutes on a plane. So it's not the <laughs> not the hardest interstate journey to make, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, what happens there? So, uh, what else you've got? Any any other notable kind of um, structural makeups or anything like that 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 you want to point out, or uh, any call to arms for crowd to get to the game or anything?
0: Uh no, nothing in particular. Just that a player that I'll I'll put a watch out on is uh, is Jaden Laverty. I'm a big fan of Laverty. I think most people know. I'm one of the number ones and have been for a long time, but. It'll be very interesting to see who he goes to this week. Um, I think there was times where last week where you saw him, there was a switchover at a contest at half forward and he actually went into the midfield just for one or two contests as he was trying to get off the ground. It wasn't a match-up. And that's happened a little bit over the years. And I keep saying, geez, he looks good. (laughs) Uh, As a midfielder, especially now his body's right. He's, he's had consistency in his body he hasn't got injured as much as he had in his early years I think there's an opportunity I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this hobby horse into the ground I'm gonna be saying when he's 55 hey let's put Laverdium in the middle I think there's something there I think we talk about what Setterfield has added to our to our midfield there as a tall and mid strong body does the defensive work if we're not playing Perkins in there we're not playing Corwell in there maybe Lav gets a couple of minutes in there. There's no Van Ruin, is maybe the matchup up forward for him, um, considering it's funny. I think he'll definitely have the strength to go to McDonald and that might work, but I think it's time that we start transitioning BZT to those players. So Van Ruin not being as strong a player, um, what's, is there a natural matchup for him? You know, Ridley's got the height, could maybe really do that, and then we kind of If we're playing Langford back especially, who does does he go to? Where's the matchup for him? So I'll just put that as a watch. If we're going to try something a little bit different, maybe put Laverde in there for five minutes and have him go head-to-head with Oliver or Petrarca. I I, I could really see Lav in a centre-bound situation trying to knock Oliver over and burst out of a stoppage and I think that is a type of real team lifter because Oliver's the type of guy that does that to everyone. He's such a big, strong ball. He likes getting the ball and knocking guys over and making It's a really team lifter. So if, you know, if we can have a hard man knock off their hard man, I think that might really lift the boys. So just something that probably won't happen, but maybe, maybe think about. Hopefully, uh, yeah, Brad Scott, if you're listening, look oh, into the centre. What I would say is that's, um, that's something that Sheedy would do. And I think that's maybe where obviously we grew up probably like a, the vast majority of as supporters watching a lot of Kevin Sheedy coaching. He wouldn't be afraid to make a make a move like that and really do something a little bit different, unexpected, that might get a reaction out of players. So I think that's something we've all we should always keep up our sleeve. And I think Mark has been a, a criticism that we've had of the coaching over the, the past two, three, four coaches that we've had is a bit of a lack of creativity in the midfield there, and a at of creative and coaching, especially in the midfield there. So, yeah, that's one to put up a slate. But as you said, if, if, if Perkins and Corwell aren't getting the game in the middle, I don't know how, uh, how Lamb's going to get in there.
1: It's going to be tough to break the regulars out. Um, we'll just finish it by, I guess, saying, uh, I guess, thanks to everyone that, that listens. We've had um, record numbers, which is not the reason why we do it. We don't do it for downloads and plays and stuff like that but it is interesting to see and it's encouraging to to know that people are tuning in so we thank everyone that, that tunes in and listens um, and a lot of people getting around the Facebook page uh, recently as well and Instagram so um, give those a follow if you don't already and if you're still listening at this point please pause go to one of them send us a message send us a note drop a comment give us a review we actually get a real kick out of I guess that engagement and hearing what other people's thoughts are on some of the things that we discuss and that's what that's, this whole podcast was created for—is to to just chat about Essendon. So um, that's all I've got, Brennan, and hopefully we have a good win in in Adelaide against the D's. That's right. Go Bombers. Go Dons.